Thank you, Lord. Y'all can go ahead and be seated. You appreciate the Lord today? Uh, I want y'all to be in prayer this week. Starting Wednesday morning, we're going to a church in Thomaston, Georgia. And it's just going to be people coming to pray. We're going to be there at 10.30 of the morning, 7 o'clock at night. And we're going to spend however long in prayer. Nobody's scheduled to preach. We ain't announcing anointed singers. We ain't announcing any special guests. We're going to pray to find the mind of God for God's people. God's people got to have leadership. Stand up in the earth. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's like people don't know what to do. People don't know which way to go. I remember the Lord showed me a vision a couple of years ago, and I seen a fog like from here up on people. And the Lord spoke to me out of the book of Isaiah. And he said, darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people. And when you look the word darkness up in the Scriptures, it means spiritual ignorance. People are doing everything now to try to find a relationship with God except prayer and study of the Word. You talking about a sweet relationship? You ever really develop a relationship in prayer and get in prayer and learn to wait in prayer. And I'm talking about you can get in some sweet, sweet spirits of God. And He will come down and sup with you and fellowship with you. And when I first come to the Lord, the Lord blessed me with a spirit of prayer. And I'd get in prayer sometimes a couple of times a day, and I'd stay three and four hours in prayer. And the Spirit of God would just get so sweet. A lot of times I didn't even want to quit. And if you ain't found that place, you need to press your way into a true relationship with God because the Lord's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. So Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we're going to meet at 10.30 in the morning. We're going to meet at 7 o'clock at night. And we're just going to pray for God to speak to us and guide us and give us direction for the body of Christ. I don't even know how many ministers are coming. There have been a lot invited. But you know, if you don't announce somebody preaching or special anointed singing or fried chicken suppers, or people ain't going to show up because people love to have their flesh entertained. Church ain't about entertaining your flesh, making you feel good. You know, people shop for churches now like they shop for new cars or furniture. They want a church that makes them feel comfortable. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You find a church that makes you feel comfortable, it ain't going to feed your soul. It will not feed your soul. And people have traded a relationship with God for comfort and convenience. I ain't looking for comfort and convenience. I'm looking for something to feed my soul and prepare me for what's coming on the face of the earth. Because I don't care how you cut it. You look at what's going on overseas and in all those countries over there and Christians are being put to death, they're being persecuted, churches being burned, people being crucified, heads cut off for the name of Jesus, and somebody got the idea that America's going to escape. No, America will go through persecution. Y'all think the Lord... Loves America more than he loves them people over at name the name of Jesus. No. 
You love, you love the Lord. Paul said, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We're going to go through some persecution. We're going to go through some persecution. People might as well just... And people beginning to wake up and see, if it's happening over there, there ain't nothing to keep it from happening over here. We ain't got a monopoly on God. Boy, y'all got quiet on me. You're going to go through some things. Amen. You're going to go through some things. So Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I want y'all to be in prayer. Uh, I'm supposed to have uh, our pastor from Fort Payne, his wife, if they get to make it, and they're saying now it looks like they don't even know if they'll get to make it or not, come over and, and uh, go stay with us. And then we're just going to drive down. The, the men going to drive down every morning. And uh, we're going to stay down there all day far as I know right now, in prayer. It's about an hour and a half from my house. And we're just going to pray and seek God. Because I don't know about you, but i got to have direction. You know, I can't stand what I call spaghetti prayers. And if y'all don't know what that means, if you take spaghetti when you think it's done, you throw it against the wall, it'll stick. Well, people throwing everything against the wall, see if something's going to stick. And I'm going to tell you, ain't much working. I believe in praise and I believe in worship. But you got to have the Word to live by. you got to have that rock-solid Word to put a foundation under you and to live by. We had a meeting Friday night. We drove to Nashville, Tennessee, and I preached in a lady's home up there. We got back to the motel at 1.30 in the morning. And I actually had a man sit and cry while I preached the Word of God. And then he got up and testified with tears in his eyes. He said, I've been looking for this kind of word my whole life. And he said, I will tell you all tonight. He said, my soul was fed. We played the recording of it uh, here at church when we got here. That's what he said, what it brought on. He said, my soul was truly fed tonight. He said, I can't tell you how long it's been since my soul was fed. He said, but my soul was fed tonight. Because the Lord had me begin to talk about this kingdom. And start breaking down this kingdom. The difference between heaven and the kingdom of heaven. There's a difference between going to heaven and having the kingdom of heaven revealed in you. And there are people who don't even know that. I remember about a year ago we started preaching in another home. Uh, probably about an hour from here. Maybe an hour and a half. And the Lord, uh, I, was, I was expounding on the word. I said, there's a difference between heaven and the kingdom of heaven. And the people said, we didn't know that. He just spoke up and said, we didn't know that. I mean, people love God, been going to church all their life. So we didn't even know that. There's a difference. And you need to know the difference because the Lord is revealing the kingdom of heaven now. I believe if you live right, keep your sins under the blood, Walk up right before God and do right. I believe if you die, you're going to heaven. But for the kingdom of heaven to be revealed in you. You know, John come preaching and he said, Repent and be baptized. Prepare ye the way of the Lord for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it wasn't very long after he started preaching, Here come Jesus. Healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, casting out devils. That was the kingdom of heaven being demonstrated. That was the authority of the true and living God living in man. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is, is that power that lived in Jesus. 
living in us. That's why when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the early church, that's what the early church done. The early church was given the ministry of Jesus because they was given us a, a measure of the Spirit of Christ. And you put you put a seed in something. Any y'all ever plant a garden? You plant green beans, what's going to come up? Green beans. You go out here and plant a peach tree or an apple tree or a pear tree, that's what's going to come up. That's what fruit it's going to produce. So the Bible tells us that God plants a seed in us. And if that seed of Christ is planted in you, then that's what's going to be revealed. That's what's going to come forth. That's what's going to come forth. And we need Christ to start being revealed. I don't just need Him in my heart. Amen? The Bible talks about that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in your mortal flesh. I ain't waiting until I get up there. Everybody, everybody's been taught that everything we get from God is going to be up there. You ain't going to need it up there. You need it down here. You've got to have something down here to help you live right. Amen? You've got to have something down here to help you live clean. Walk up right before God. So y'all be in prayer with us and uh, about these prayers. And y'all go to prayer with us. You can come aside at 1030 in the morning, 7 o'clock at night. Join in prayer with us. Join in prayer with us because people need to come together and pray. And I want to encourage you. Uh, we go to prayer here on Sunday morning at 1030. Try to get in and pray with us. Let's labor together in prayer because it brings a unity in the body. It brings a unity. Amen? We need a unity. The Bible talks about in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, it says, Strive to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God's people need a unity. We need a love. We need a connection. And prayer, it'll tear down things that are between people. I mean, you get a congregation, you get people, there's going to be divisions, there's going to be difference of opinion, but we got to walk together in the Spirit. we got to be in one mind and one accord and walk up right before God. And I appreciate the Lord today. Did you pass out the notes? Okay. Uh, now, I'm going to get into a revelation of the kingdom today. Matter of fact, what I'm preaching today is the chief cornerstone in the hinge pen of the kingdom of God and the power of God. And I'm going to get into this today. And however far the Lord let me go, I don't know. But there's about 30-something scriptures in these notes that deals with Jesus, the price He paid, what He sacrificed, and the life that He's made available for us to live. When you come to recognize who you are in Christ, devil won't hold you down. He ain't got the power to hold you down. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John 3 and 8, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Did y'all know the works of the devil are not going to be destroyed? They are destroyed. Say, For this purpose Jesus, the Son of God, came that He might destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. And in Christ, 
The works of Satan are destroyed. They are destroyed, and you have total victory through him over every circumstance, over every situation, every sickness, every disease. Everything you face in life, there's victory. There's a plan, and there's a way to live it. It's like my wife says. Things will come up. She'll say, there's a godly way to walk this out. There's a godly way to walk out every circumstance and every situation. And I don't know what y'all been taught, and you may disagree with what I preach, but I'm going to tell you something. You disagree with what I preach, you're going to have to disagree with about 30 or 40 scriptures. That's kind of hard to do. <laughs> it's like Brother Brian tells me. He said, Brother Matter, you show it to me in the Word. He said, I can understand it. He said, I believe it. And y'all been coming to church here almost a year, right? I think y'all started in, what, June? Somewhere around May or June of last year? Listen to me on the radio for on the radio for a long time, and uh, then they finally come to church, and so far everything I've preached has been backed up by the word, and I'm gonna keep backing it up by the word, cause I don't study men's doctrines. I've never studied men's doctrines and traditions. People talk to me about, "What well, do you believe this?" I say, "I don't know what you're talking about." If they ask me about a doctrine that that men's talk, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I ain't never studied them. And I've, I've told people from the get-go, I'm like Paul. You know, Paul studied the Word for years and years and years. He believed the Word. But then when the Spirit of Christ changed him, that Word in him come alive by the Spirit. The letter killeth, but the Spirit maketh alive. Amen? Do y'all know the letter killeth? That's what the Word says. Paul said that letter of the law will kill you. But let, let the Spirit of God get in it. It'll make it alive. Did you know when God changed Paul and he was in Damascus after he uh, received prayer from Ananias and he was baptized, received the Holy Ghost? He went out and began to preach that Jesus was the Christ. And all he had was the law and the prophets and the Psalms. He didn't. There wasn't no New Testament written. There wasn't no New Testament written when Paul began to declare that Jesus was the Christ. He'd done it by the prophets, he'd done it by the law, and he'd done it by the Psalms. And took the Word and declared Jesus was the Christ. And he put up some pretty good arguments. And he, could, he persuaded a lot of people. And I don't mind talking to you about the Word of God, but I will not debate the Word of God with you. I know people argue about stuff all the time. I'm going to preach the Word. I'm going to show you by the Scriptures what I believe, and it's up to you. It's up to you what you believe. Because the Lord didn't call me to make you believe anything. The Lord called me to preach the Word. The Lord called me to lay the path of righteousness out there before you and to show you the way. And once I do that, it's up to you. It's up to you. But that man that... uh was in that meeting last night. Him and his wife come up for prayer. And he told me he was in some kind of uh, minister's, what did he say, internship or something. Uh, and he said, Brother Metter, he said, I need a mentor. He said, one of the requirements of this course is to have a mentor. He said, would you mentor me? I said, yes, sir. And I did. He started crying again. He said, I need somebody to teach me and show me. I said, that's what these 47 years are for. But you know, when 
You get instruction, you got to learn to follow it. Don't do any good to teach if nobody's going to follow the instruction. Amen? Because, you know, I know some of us people in the South and some of us will say, I'm going to learn you a thing or two. No, you ain't going to learn nobody nothing. You can teach them, but they got to learn. Amen? It'd be all right if y'all smile. I'm happy to be in the house of God today. Of course, I'm, I'm happy to be in, in, in God's house at any time. And we got started late Friday night because uh, this couple drove all the way from Memphis, Tennessee to be in that meeting in Nashville. We drove all the way from our house in Conyers, Georgia, which is about four hours. They drove three and a half, and they got caught in traffic. And we put the the phone, we started and put the phone on FaceTime, and they was listening to us coming up the road <laughs> till they got there. And when they got there, they said, man, ain't technology great? Because we'd done been going about 30, 40 minutes before they ever got there. And when I got through preaching, and we were fellowshipping a little bit, she says, I want to know. She said, if you'll come preach. I said, you want to know what? She said, I want to know if you'll come preach to us. I said, you talking about your house in Memphis? She said, yes, sir. I said, if it's the mind of God, I'll be there. I don't care. I don't care if I preach 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, middle of the night, middle of the day. I don't care. I'm called to preach Jesus. I ain't called to conform to people's time schedule. You know, we worship at times to suit ourselves. We do. And the Lord told me all the way back in August 2017, He said the church just coming together a couple hours, two or three days a week. He says it's not enough. People need to be in the house of God more. We got too many things in our natural life consuming us, keeping us from coming together worshiping God. And that's when the Lord showed me. He said the church in Antioch in Acts 13 where Paul was, he said they had prophets, they had teachers. Then they had Barnabas and Saul there, apostles. And the Lord showed me, he said, there's something going on in the church in Antioch all the time. They didn't have service one or two days a week. He said there's, they were doing something all the time. Can you imagine having that many men of God, that much anointing and gifts in a church, and people just coming together a couple of days a week for a couple hours here and there? No, they were doing something all the time. They could have been in service and had three or four teaching classes. Different people preaching in different parts of the church. You don't know. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of time wasted in these churches. Got all these big buildings, and they sit empty most of the time. I'm ready to see a move of God. I'm ready to see an act of God. And I run into somebody yesterday, and they said, Brother Metter, we need a move of God. We need, well, we need God to send revival. I said, no, you don't. They just looked at me. I said, we need a restoration. You tell me somebody in this generation that's got something to revive. I mean, I just looking point blank. I said, what have we got to revive? I said, you look at the church in the book of Acts, there ain't nothing like what happened in the book of Acts in our generation. We ain't had nothing. You go back 100 years, you can find Azusa Street in 1906. That'd been almost 115 years ago. There ain't been a move of God in this generation. We need a, we need a restoring. I said, we need God to restore back what happened at Pentecost. We need God to put the ministry back in place. We need God to put the structure of the government back in the church and restore the power, and then we can do what they do. 
I said, but until that happens, till we get a rest- restoration, I said, ain't nothing going to change. I said, we've been trying to have revival for 50 years. And I said, ain't nothing changed. People still doing the same thing. And I was preaching in a church in Savannah years ago. And I said, does anybody know what the definition of insanity is? This little eight-year-old girl in the back of the church raised her hand. I said, what is it? She said, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I said, exactly right. And I said, that's what the church is doing, doing the same thing over and over and expecting God to move different. So y'all bunch of crazy folks. <laughs> if y'all think God is going to move different and you keep doing the same thing, let's do something different. Amen? Let's do something different. I know people don't like it that we advertise a prayer revival and we're going to go pray and seek the face of God. People want something to entertain their flesh. I need something to feed my soul. Amen? I need something to feed my soul. I need something to bring me alive. I need something that the life of Christ will be made manifest in my mortal flesh. That it don't matter where I am. While I'm in the parking lot of a gas station, in a restaurant, in a grocery store, in a department store, and somebody needs healing or deliverance, I can minister the Word of God to them right there. We've locked God up in the church and tried to get the world to come to the church. He didn't say for the world to come to the church. He said, go ye into all the world. Amen? Are y'all just quiet today? (laughs) All right, now, I want to... uh, To me, this is a very powerful... In very important service, and what I'm gonna preach on, and I want some interaction out of y'all. I won't have to set dynamite off under you, get you say something or do something, because to me, this right here that I'm gonna expound on today is the cornerstone of the kingdom and the power and the anointing of God that we need in our lives. And I was telling my wife this morning, I got up at a little after five and started studying and praying. I'd done some last night, laid down, and then got up this morning and started uh, praying and studying. And I said, the preaching of the cross brings power. Brings power. And I said, when you preach the cross, it brings power, and it brings the power of the resurrection. Amen. Everybody's, everybody's shouting and said, this resurrection day, Jesus is risen. I remember we was in a tent revival in 1984 somewhere in North Carolina, and we had to go out that morning. We, we had our one baby girl, and I think she needed formula or diapers or something. She was about two years old, and so we headed out to the store, and we went by this big church. I mean, cars in the park, four or 500 cars in the parking lot, they had a sign out front that said, he is not here. I said, wow. I said, really? I don't know if I'm going to go to that church or not. <laughs> but you know, that's what the angel told Mary and the disciples when they come and said, he is not here. But they said, he is risen. <laughs> he is not here. They just had on the sign, he is not here. And I've laughed about that for a long time. But work with me today because this is for you to learn. And if you want to learn and you want to grow, we got to grow. 
we got to grow to be able to help people. I'm not here to have something to do. And we just about to get our YouTube studio ready. And I'm going to start doing a lot of teaching on YouTube. We was talking, uh, coming back from Nashville, about just starting a YouTube service. Maybe one night a week. And just fixing it where people could join in everywhere. Just one night a week. And just me teach on YouTube. Because I got people everywhere that believe what I'm preaching. You know, the devil told me one time, said, ain't nobody going to believe what you're preaching. I mean, I heard that voice, and it just chilled me down to my very soul. And I thought for a minute, and I said, too late, devil. Somebody already does. <laughs> Devil's a liar and the father of him. Amen. Now, uh, I don't know exactly where to start, but uh, let's start with Romans, if y'all want to look on your paper, the second top of the second page. Let's start with Romans, the sixth chapter. And y'all need to just look at the paper. I'm, I've got the scriptures here. Or you can look in your Bible. Sometimes I'll just print a scripture, but you need to go back and read the whole context. Because if I printed the whole context of every scripture I exhort, I'd come out here every week and would have a book. <laughs> So, uh, y'all put some some works with it. Hallelujah. But Romans 2, I mean 6, I'm sorry, in 23, For the wages of sin is death. Is that what it says? Amen? Amen? Yes. Everybody stay with me now. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Word also says in Ezekiel 18 and 4, Behold, all souls are mine as the soul of the fathers, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Now, how many of y'all believe what Romans 6.23 says? You believe the wages of sin is death? You believe that? All right, now tell me what death? Spiritual death. Y'all believe sin is the death of the soul? You believe that? Okay. Follow with me now. I can get people to follow with me all the way through the Scriptures. They'll read through the crucifixion. And then I ask them this question. Because in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, it says that he that knew no sin became sin he became sin for us that he might become that we might become the righteousness of God through him living in us. Y'all believe that? All right, now we know Jesus hung on the cross. We know that we they, we know they beat him. We know they put a crown of thorns on his head. We know he suffered in his physical man greatly. And he hung there 
and he became sin. The sins of the whole world, the sins that had been rolled forward under the law was put on him. He became sin. And he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted as my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? Because when he became sin, God turned his face from him. Couldn't look on him. Couldn't look on him. Could no longer dwell in him because he became sin. And just before he gave a loud cry and gave up the ghost, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. In other words, that word commend means he, he gave his soul to the Lord for protection and keeping. Okay? Now, I can get everybody to follow me up to that point. But then when I ask them, what happened to Jesus' soul when he died? What happened to Jesus' soul when he died? Do you agree with me with 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he became sin? You agree with what the Word said? So if he became sin and the wages of sin is death, so what happened to his soul? Huh? No, what happened to his soul on the cross when he bowed his head and died? Yeah, right when he died. He went. Oh yeah, eternally. No, 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 no. The soul's eternal. The soul's eternal. It's gonna live somewhere one 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 way or the other. It's, it's either gonna live eternally with God or an eternal damnation. So. Tell me what you believe. Tell me what you've been taught and what you believe. When that soul left Jesus, because the Bible said he yielded up the ghost, he yielded up his soul. What happened to it? Where did it go? But how did he go to hell? Did he go to hell? Listen to what I'm saying. Did he go to hell as a victor or did he go to hell as a transgressor? Transgressor. Huh? He took on the sin. So he had to go to hell as a transgressor. He had to be tormented for two days and two nights. That's right. He was in hell two days and two nights because he said, I'll rise again the third day. Now, I want to go to Psalms 16. And I don't have any of these marked. I'll just have to find them. And I want to show you what Jesus done 
to pay for your souls. What he done to buy you back from the devil. Y'all follow with me? Y'all hang on, I just got the green light. <laughs> Psalms 18 and verse 3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. And the snares of death prevented or hindered me. So Jesus went to hell as a transgressor with the sins of the whole world on him and he had to pay for them just like a soul that sinned. Get your eyes open now. <laughs> he had to do it. In and I'm going to get back in the New Testament, but I want to go to Isaiah 53. And all this is in the notes. It's not in the order I'm preaching it, but it is in the notes. And you can study it. But I want to go to Isaiah 53. And if you get a hold of this, and you can understand this, you can understand the power of God and what Jesus paid for and what He accomplished when He rose from the dead and you can realize what, what lives in you or what can live in you. But in Isaiah 53 and 10, it says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering... For sin. It was the body and the blood of Jesus that was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed on the cross and it forgive all the sins that was under the law. Everything that had been rolled forward every year by the law, by the blood of the bulls and the goats and the heifers. And Hebrews will tell you, he said, My soul, Lord said, My soul has no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats, in the ashes of heifers. But Jesus said, a sacrifice, a body, has thou prepared me, O Lord. And when they died physically on that cross, that was the Lamb of God that died, that forgive all those sins. But for the soul to be redeemed, Jesus had to pay with his soul. When God created man, man was created immortal. He was created eternal. He was not created to die. And when Adam sinned through disobedience, the Lord warned him, said, in the day that you touch the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die. So when he done it, he didn't only die naturally, but he died spiritually because he lost eternal life. And he handed the keys of hell and death to Satan. That's how Satan got them. Satan got the keys of hell and death through Adam disobeying God. 
So whether you realize it or not, our God is a God of law and principles. So for the keys of hell and death to be reclaimed, a soul had to go to hell and die and take the keys of hell and death out of the devil's hands. And Jesus legally went and died and paid with his soul to reclaim the keys of hell and death and take spiritual death out of Satan's hand. Are y'all following with me? Okay. Now, you go to Hebrews, the second chapter. And see, people, they've never been taught this very much. And when you take the Scriptures and start breaking it down and get people to examine things, people begin to see, oh, I understand now. Because the church is always taught, a lot of churches teach that Jesus, when His body was laying in that tomb, man, His soul went to hell in victory. He went down there and preached a revival and gave them people an opportunity to come out of hell. Well, ain't nobody in his right mind wouldn't come out of hell. Hell would have been emptied out. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you something. I can't find no place in the Scripture where anybody ever got to get out of hell free card. Ain't nobody in their right mind would have stayed in hell. If Jesus said, come if you believe in me, I'll get you out of here. I mean, I didn't care what I believed. I'd have got on that train. (laughs) All right, let's go to Hebrews 2. Let's look at verse uh, 9. Thank you, sweetheart. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor. What does that mean? He was made just like me and you. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came created as a man, Brother Brian. The Bible says in Galatians 4 that when the fullness of time was come or when it was God's time to fulfill His word, He sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus was no different than me and you. He was a physical body. The only difference was he was ordained to be that sin sacrifice, and he knew it from the time he was old enough to understand that he was ordained to be that sin sacrifice. And his mother, the Lord showed my wife, his mother taught him the Word of God and taught him, and God talked to him and communed with him. And the Bible says the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. He waxed strong in spirit, statue, wisdom, and had favor with God and man. And I believe that's Luke 2.40. But he grew up just like we, he, he was a man. He was a man. He didn't come down here as God that had victory over everything. He came as a man. To show me and you, sin can be conquered. To show me and you, sin can be conquered. So it it goes on and says that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Is it Was he going to taste natural death? All of us, we live long enough and the Lord don't come, we're going to die a physical death. So Jesus didn't come down here to taste natural death for every man. He came down here to taste spiritual death so we wouldn't have to go. 
There's a song that I've heard all my life, and, and I can't remember all the words to it, but they, they used to sing it when I was going to church and I was a little boy. It said, I owed a debt I could not pay. And it was growing every day. But Jesus paid it all for me. And y'all ever heard that song? All right, Jesus paid it all by tasting of spiritual death. He paid it all by tasting of spiritual death. It says right here that he should taste of death for every man. People will tell you, Jesus died that I didn't have to go to hell. I was redeemed. But they aren't taught that the very soul of Jesus had to pay for your soul. The body and blood paid for them sins under the law, but for your soul to be redeemed, he had to pay, the Bible will tell you, with his eternal spirit. He had to pay with his eternal spirit. Is it making sense? Is it making sense to anybody? This is why we can walk in victory. This is why we don't have to be discouraged, depressed, sick, diseased, bound. Because Jesus suffered the horrors of hell for those two days and those two nights. Well, Brother Matter, I, I, I read where Jesus said that the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He did, but he didn't say that was while his body was in the tomb. He was alive 40 days after his resurrection, he didn't spend all that 40 days with the disciples. He appeared to people all over the world. And somewhere in that 40 days, for three days and three nights, his spirit went into the heart of the earth and preached to those from Adam to Moses that had no law, had no government, were disobedient because they didn't know right from wrong. And he went and preached to those souls in prison, not in hell. The Lord don't condemn souls to hell that don't know right from wrong. There was no law to govern them. From Adam to Moses, there was no law. They knew they didn't know right from wrong. And a just God will not only judge, will not unjustly condemn a soul to hell if it don't know right from wrong. It wouldn't surprise me there ain't a bunch of souls being put in prison again that's never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and somewhere they're going to get a chance to hear. Because we serve a just God. We serve a just God. Amen? We serve a just God. Now, if you go on over to verse 14 in Hebrews 2, I will reiterate what I'm saying. Jesus was a man. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise himself took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Satan didn't have the power of natural death. He had the power of spiritual death. So that through spiritual death, Jesus was able to destroy the hold and the bondage that Satan had on man. Because until Jesus came, there was no eternal life. Till Jesus came, there was no redemption of the soul. And through that spiritual death, 
Satan held people in fear and in bondage all their lives that they didn't know what was going to happen to their soul. That's what Scripture says. Are y'all following with me? Is that what this Scripture says? That he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death, through the fear of spiritual death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Man didn't know where his soul was going to go until Jesus came. And he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man come up the Father except he come by me and through me. I'm the door. That's not a salvation scripture. Jesus came, and I'm not going to get off in this a lot, but Jesus came to do more and save your soul. He came to reconcile you back to the Father and restore you back to where God created you. You read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, and it talks about them. we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. The word reconcile means to restore and put back in favor with God, and I am ready to see a people restored, renewed, and put back in favor with God that we have the opportunity to go back where God created us. Amen, roll me. All right. So, 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved or it pleased him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation, there it is right there, make reconciliation for the sins of the people. To reconcile man back to God. To bring man back. Because when God created man, put him in that garden, that was the beginning of the kingdom. That was the beginning of the kingdom. And that is why I'm here to tell you the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What God done in the beginning, we're now being offered the kingdom again. We're now being offered the way into that kingdom. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the door back to the Father. Where's the Father? Total power, authority, and dominion living in the body of Jesus Christ. That's where the Father is right now. Jesus said all power in heaven and earth is what? Now in me. It lives right here. Romans 8 and 29 will tell you he that is foreordained, predestined and foreordained to be conformed to the image of the Son. We've been conformed. We've been chosen to be made just like Jesus. I ain't talking about as he was. I'm talking about as he is. There's a difference. I remember when the Lord spoke to me in 2006 about the power of the resurrected Christ and I was pondering it in my mind. The Lord was getting to open up to me. And and I was wrestling with it, and finally the Lord said, you want to be as I was or you want to be as I am? I said, well, I said, you walked as a man. You had to battle the carnal mind. You had to battle sin. You had to battle flesh. You never sinned, but you still had to battle it. And I said, now, there is no sin. There is no will to sin. All power in heaven and earth lives in you. Your God manifested in the flesh. No brainer, I'll take as you are. <laughs> I'll take as you are. In first John four and seventeen says, As he is or as he was in this world, so are we. The Lord has made the way. 
Anybody ever read the Scripture in Romans that says we are heirs with God? Joint heirs with Christ. You ever read that Scripture? Joint heir means equal. It means equal. So that means our inheritance is to become equal with Jesus as He is right now. So why do we walk in doubt, unbelief, trouble, sorrow, depression, discouragement, upsetness, sickness, and disease when the way back to the Father has been made? It's been made. It's been made. And He didn't do it. And I know people teach, what is it, the doctrine of peccability and impeccability? They'll tell you, Jesus was 100% man, and he could sin, but he was 100% God, and he couldn't. I said, what? He was 100% man, Brother Matter. He could have sinned, but he was 100% God, and he couldn't. I said, he can't be 100% man and 100% God at the same time. I said, that's 200%. I said he was a man. He was made just like me and you in the likeness of sinful flesh, according to Romans 8 and 3. And he came for sin to condemn or to destroy sin in the flesh. He could have sinned, but he didn't because he chose not to, and he overcame. John sixteen thirty three, He said, in the world you have tribulation, in me you have peace, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What does 1 John 2 tell us is in the world? All that is in the world is the lust of the eyes, pride of life. Jesus had to overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life because that's what Satan tempted him with. Tempted him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Amen? And Jesus said, no, thank you. He said, so be of good cheer. I have overcome. If I've overcome the world, you can overcome the world. You can overcome the world. But you got to get, you got him in you. Uh, somebody told me one time, I said, Brother Metter, I just can't live it. I said, you got to get the liver in you. <laughs> you get him in you and let him live. He'll overcome it. He'll overcome it. Amen. Because he did overcome. He could have sinned, but he chose not to because he knew what he was called to do. But when he got to that garden and he was praying and his sweat become his great drops of blood, the Bible said being in agony, he prayed and he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And he totally surrendered right there to the will of the Father. Totally surrendered. Right, there. he said. It, he said, if you can, he said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I understand why I came into this world for this very purpose. Right here, was it going to the cross? Part of it. But you know what he was really afraid of. Let's go to Hebrews five, and we'll look at verse five. I hope y'all get a hold of this. The Lord started putting this in my spirit in 1984 and has unfolded into my spirit all these years and things a whole lot deeper. 
And did you know I've had to walk on eggshells to try to teach this to people because of the things they've been taught? I have. I've had to walk on eggshells. When I first started teaching this, I pastored a church in Fort Payne that I had founded in 2000. And I started teaching this about 2012 when the Lord really started putting it. And I had to walk on eggshells because of doctrines and traditions that had got in people. There's only one doctrine. And that's the doctrine of Christ. There's only one faith. There's only one Lord and one baptism. If you're not believing what Jesus taught and you're not believing what this, those apostles preached, you're in error somewhere. If you're taken away from what they've been taught, what they taught, or you're adding to, you're in error somewhere because there's only one doctrine of Christ. There's only one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And we're going to see the true God of heaven now stand up. He is standing up. And on the 10th of March in this church, there was a prophecy come forth. The Lord said he'd fix a move among the Hispanics. That prophecy come forth. They're fixing to be a great move among the Hispanic people. And I look for them to get saved by the thousands. I look for them to get healed and delivered. But you know what the Lord said? He said, I'm going to defy Catholicism. He said, I'm going to defy that doctrine. Because I'm going to tell you something. It's not Christianity. It's idolatry. Go ahead and search it out. It's idolatry. People are bound in idolatry. You say, you can't say that, Brother Metter. Their doctrine teaches them to pray to dead folks. They got idols they pray to. I thank God God gave Mary to be the mother of our Lord Jesus and bring him in this world. But Mary's dead. If you ain't praying to him and you praying to all these dead folks, I don't even know who St. Christopher is. But they pray to him to keep them safe. They pray to all these dead people. Dead folks can't help you. My Jesus is alive. He can help you. He can overshadow you. He can guide you. He can protect you. Amen. So let's look at Hebrews, the fifth chapter. And let's look at the fifth verse. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Y'all see this? As he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Y'all remember reading about Melchizedek in Genesis? When Abraham come back from the slaughter of the kings? Melchizedek, being the high priest of God, met him and brought him bread and wine. And Abraham honored Melchizedek with the tithes off of the battle, off the spoil. That's read, I believe in giving because this is four or five hundred years before the law. When Jacob had that dream of the ladder and the angels going up and down it, he made a commitment to God. He said, I'll give you the tenth of everything you bless me with. That was several hundred years before the law. I don't give to God according to the law. I give to God because I love Him. I give to God because I want to give to Him. And I'm going to tell you something. God has blessed me for giving. So, but I didn't, I didn't want to get into that. I just wanted you to know, He said, Thou art made forever a priest after Melchizedek. Melchizedek had neither beginning of days nor end of life, had neither father or mother. And he wasn't made after the power of a carnal commandment but he was made after the power of an endless life. And he said, I'm making you just like Melchizedek. That's what he told Jesus. 
He said, I'm going to make you just like Melchizedek. You're predestined and ordained to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. There's only two priesthood in the Bible. One's the order of Aaron in the Old Testament. The other's the order of Melchizedek. I come in under the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to put it on. Y'all hear me? I'm going to put him on. I'm going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I'm going to put him on. Let's go on down. Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus, Jesus had flesh. Did y'all know that? They got ready to put him on that cross. They beat the daylights out of that flesh. They sure didn't whip his spirit, man. They beat the daylights out of that flesh. They put that crown of thorn on that flesh. Amen. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Now you listen to me. Jesus wasn't afraid of that cross. He wasn't afraid of that cross. He was afraid of going to hell without the presence of the Father with him. Ever since he had been in this world and had recognition of who God was, the presence of the Father had been with him. And that he feared, what did he fear? Going to hell without the Father there to guide him, to protect him, to overshadow him. That's what he was afraid of. He was afraid of going to hell. That's why he, he, he cried and he prayed till his sweat become his great drops of blood. And then finally he surrendered and said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. But when he was a man, Brother Derek, just like me and you, who in the days of his flesh cried with strong cries and tears unto him that was able to save him from spiritual death. He didn't want to he didn't want to face that. Who does? He had always had power and authority over the devil, always had his father with him. But when he left that cross, he said, Father, in thy hands I commend. You look that word commend up, it's in your notes. It means to overshadow, to keep, to protect. So he said, Father, I know. He knew. The Father knew where he's going. So he said, unto thee I commend my spirit. I put my spirit in thy hands for thy keeping. Amen. You following with me? He said, I give my spirit into your hand. Because he knew for two days and two nights. They buried him on a Friday evening. Yes. Yes, he feared. He, right? Yes. He was crying in... Yeah, he was crying in desperation unto his father. And he had faith that he heard him. That's why he totally surrendered and trusted him. And when he trusted him, he put it into his hands that he was going to be okay. Now go with me to Acts, the second chapter. I'm going to tell you if you'll listen and take hold of this, this will open a lot of scriptures up to your understanding that you may not have opened before. Is anybody learning anything today? Good. I want you to learn. There ain't a jealous bone in my body. I want you to learn. I want you to grow. I want you to be used of God. Because this thing's going to get out of hand, and I can't do all this. We got back in here yesterday evening, and I felt I'd been run over by four or five trucks. 
I mean, I was tired. We drove four and a half, almost five hours in Nashville, turned around and drove about four and a half back down here. And then got up at 5.30 this morning. I was up at 2.30 Friday morning, laid back down for about 45 minutes. The time we got back to the motel and I got in bed, I'd been up almost 24 hours. Been up almost 24 hours. But when it comes to Jesus, I don't care. As long as the Lord give me the energy and the strength. All right, let me see where I want to go. Did you say Acts 2.22? I guess I should have done a little better to write it down. Well, I don't know if that's going to start where I want to start, but yes, 25, Acts 2 and 25, for David spake concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will I suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Y'all see that? That is why Jesus could submit to the will of God. He said, you're not going to leave me there. You're not going to leave me there. And we know by the Scriptures, if you go back to where Jesus raised Lazarus in John 11, when Jesus got to the tomb, one of the sisters said, well, Lord, he's, he's been dead four days. See, he's already stinking. He's already, in other words, his flesh is already rotting. So after three days, the flesh will begin to rot. So Jesus knew he wasn't going to be in hell long enough for his flesh to start rotting. And he said, well, thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will I suffer thy holy one to start rotting. He ain't going to let that body rot. He ain't going to let it corrupt. So they buried him on a Friday evening, and Sunday morning he come out. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was the third day. Well, Brother Matter, oh, man, I had a disagreement with a man here 10 or 12 years ago. He said, no, he said, Jesus was in the tomb three days and three nights. I said, couldn't be. I said, there's 16 scriptures where Jesus said, I'm going to rise again the third day. He said, well, you could, he could have been in the tomb three days and three nights and still rose the third day. I said, what kind of math are you using? you using that fuzzy math. <laughs> I said, if I check into a motel and stay three days and three nights, I'm going to check out on the fourth day. He said, no, you ain't looking at it right. I said, well, we're just going to agree to disagree. Because when he was walking on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples after his resurrection, they said, is this not the third day? And he was already walking on the road to Emmaus with them, and it was the third day, third night, and he hadn't even got there yet. <laughs> so he went into the heart of the earth at a later time. Oh, Brother Matter, you've got to figure in, that was a year of a high Sabbath. So they want to back the Sabbath up to, I think, Thursday where they can get the three days and three nights in there. I said, I don't care what you make the Sabbath. I said, three days and three nights, still going to have him rise in the fourth day. And he said, third day, I'll rise again. Sixteen times, sixteen scriptures. He said, third day, I'll rise again. 
Amen. <laughs> was coming back yesterday, and she was checking some of her emails, and she gets an email from uh, some Christian organization. They said, we're going to show you how to figure Jesus was in the tomb, how long Jesus was in the tomb, how to explain. And she got telling me some. I said, oh, my God. One of them said, well, uh, when Jesus arose, said that was the beginning of a new creation. That was the new heavens and the new earth. I said, are you kidding me? That, that's how far people go to justify their doctrine and what they believe. You can't tell them the truth. Just know that in that 40 days, he was alive after his resurrection. Somewhere he took three and a half, day, three days and three nights to go in that heart of the earth. And the Bible says that he went by his spirit. When he rose, and I'm fixing to get into his resurrection, when he rose, he went to heaven, put his blood on the mercy seat, and the Bible says, by this he obtained eternal salvation. So until he arose and put his blood on the mercy seat, nobody was going to get saved because salvation had not been bought. <laughs> salvation had not been purchased until he ascended up and put his blood on that mercy seat. There is a temple in heaven where the mercy seat is. And he went up there. I had a young man used to work with me, and he... Uh, Come to me one day, said Brother Metter, I something happened to me last night. I said, okay. He said I went. I, he said I went to heaven. I said really. I said was it a dream? He said I have no idea. He said if I stand there at the mercy seat, he said in the temple in heaven. He said I put my hand on it. He said the blood was on it, and he said the blood was still fresh. I said, oh my God. I said the Lord. He said the Lord showed me that. He said I put my hand on it. And he said, when I pulled my hand up, he said the blood was still fresh like it had just been put there. You know why? It's eternal. It's there for eternal salvation. When Jesus died, the Bible says he died unto sin one time. He don't have to die again. He died once to obtain eternal redemption. And it was after that that he was able to go in the heart of the earth and preach to the spirits in prison. But he went by his spirit man that had been resurrected. Amen. He went by spirit man that had been resurrected and he gave him a chance. And those that heard him followed him out. Do y'all know that when Jesus ascended, they said he was caught up in a cloud? Do you know, do you know cloud means people? Do you know cloud means people? Did you know that it says in Matthew that when Jesus died, and that earthquake came that rent the veil of the temple in twain. The graves of the saints was opened. And after his resurrection, many of them arose and were seen walking around Jerusalem. Did y'all know the scripture says that? So what happened to them saints? They didn't stay in here and die again. When Jesus ascended, they went with him. They went with him. The souls that accepted salvation went with him. Went with him. That's the reason they said when he comes again, he's going to come with ten thousands of his saints. Wow. Ain't the word of God good? Them angels said, you men of Galilee, why stand you looking up? Why stand you gazing up like this? 
Have you seen him go? He's going to come again in like manner. He was caught up in a cloud. That cloud was people. He ascended in a cloud, and he's coming back in a cloud with ten thousands of his saints. Amen? Ain't God good? Ain't God good? So now I want to get into resurrection. If that's all right. Are we learning something? Let me get in the resurrection. Let's go to Romans, the 8th chapter. Now, preaching this good and preaching this much Scripture and preaching this hard, I get to take two offerings today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, I feel good. God's good. All right, y'all with me? Romans 8. Man, I wish the church was full. That's all right. This is going to be posted on YouTube. People are going to... You say, well, what other matter? What if, what if people don't believe? It's not up to me. I'm giving you Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture to sustain, to verify, and build a foundation of this Word. It's up to you to believe. All right, now, Romans 8, verse 11. Y'all following with me? But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, that's the physical body, okay, dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead, that's the spirit man. So there's two resurrections. The physical man was raised up, but the spirit man had to be raised up because he went there as a sinner. He went there to pay for your sins. And his soul died. That's the reason the Bible says he's the first begotten from the dead. Nobody ever come back from hell. Nobody ever come back from spiritual death. He came back from spiritual death. So the spirit that raised up Jesus, the physical man, and also raised up the Christ, the spirit man, dwell in you. He's going to quicken. He's going to make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He didn't say he'd make alive your immortal bodies. He said he'd make alive your mortal bodies. Well, we are right now. This spirit enters into us in a strength and a power and authority and a fullness. It's going to make us alive. It's going to quicken us. See, all the early church had was a portion, a measure. We ain't got the measure the early church had. Well, we fix and get it. We fix and get what the early, I'm telling you, we fix and get what the early church had. When I was talking to them people yesterday, and they were telling me, Brother Metter, we need to move a God. I said, no, we need a restoration. We need what happened at Pentecost to happen again. We need the government, the power, the ministry, the anointing that fell at Pentecost. We need those apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers step back on the scene like Paul and Peter and Moses and Elijah. You gonna, I'm telling you, you're going to see them. It ain't, this thing's on us. It's on us like a wet dish rag. I mean, this thing's on us. So, there's two resurrections. There's a resurrection of the natural man. There was a resurrection of the spiritual man. He come out of that tomb. That's when he said, "All power in heaven and earth is given unto me." 
when in June, I'm going to go to Ephesians, first chapter. In June, I, I, I believe it was June, uh, see the 13th or 15th of June, 2015. I'm pretty sure, I don't think it was July, I'm pretty sure it was June. But I was in the office praying there at our home. And about 5.30 in the morning, I was in prayer, and the Lord took me out, and I stood on the edge of the universe. And I saw the universe all wobbly. Like I was watching the orbits of the planets, and they were all wobbly. They were sluggish. It's like they was out of time. They was out of order. And I just stand there watching them, and all of a sudden there was a huge explosion. And when that explosion cleared about 15, 20 seconds later, I was still standing on the edge of the universe. Everything was back in time. Everything was back in time. And the Lord spoke to me out of Ephesians 1 and 20. And this is what it says. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principalities and power and might, and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in the world and that which is to come. And it put all things under his feet and giving to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the Lord told me, he said, what I wrought in Christ when I raised him from the dead. He said, when man sinned, everything got out of my divine order. He said, when I raised Christ from the dead, he said, it wasn't just a resurrection. He said, it was a reconciliation and it put everything back in my divine order. Put everything back in my divine order. And I give him power. Over all power. The Lord told his disciples in Luke, when he chose them, he said, I give you power over sickness, disease, devils. You can tread on serpents, you can tread on scorpions. He said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall be any means hurt you. We ain't living there. We ain't living there. It's time to get to the place the Lord's made for us to get restored back. And then the Lord told me, He said, that wasn't just a resurrection. He said, that was a reconciliation. And that's when the Lord started showing me 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. He said, I came to reconcile man back to the Father. Bible, it'll tell you in those scriptures, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Put man backward, created him. Where did he create man? In authority and dominion over all his creation. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells you when God created man, he gave him dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over everything that creepeth on the earth. In Psalms 8, he said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Son of man that thou hast visited him and set him over the works of thy hands. Man was set over the works of God's hands. That's the kingdom. Till Jesus came, that kingdom was out of our grasp. Y'all know why we battle so hard to serve God? This is devil's territory. This is the devil's territory. Adam gave it to him. But now in Christ, we're free from that power. We're free from that bondage of Satan. We're free. But if you ain't walking in Christ, you're bound. You're bound to this earth. You're bound to the powers of Satan. You're bound to situations and circumstance. It's time for you to know who you are in Christ. It's time for you to know what he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Amen. Amen. We need to believe. We need to believe and know 
that the works of Satan have been destroyed. We need to know who we are in Christ. And we got authority over situations. We got authority over circumstance. And I believe God's bringing us into that place. We're going to find favor with God and man. We're going to start finding favor with God and man. God's going to start showing us favor. Why? We're His seed. We're His chosen. And if we will accept what He's done for us, boy, we like to talk our problems. We do. We love to talk our problems. You don't need to talk your problems. The Word of God tells you the power of life and death is where? You ever get talking sometime and then you just tell yourself, won't you just be quiet? <laughs> if I talk too much, I'll get told to be quiet. But this old flesh, it likes to talk negative. It likes to talk doubt. It likes to talk unbelief. It likes to worry and fret and fear. But not in Jesus. When Jesus was in the bottom of that boat in the middle of that storm, he wasn't worried about nothing. He was sound asleep. There's up there bailing water. The boat filling up with water. And there's bailing water. And everybody's hollering, where's Jesus? Why ain't you up here helping us? Where's Jesus? And finally, they said, well, he's down in the bottom of the boat asleep. They went down there and woke him up. Said, Lord, don't you care? We're fixing to die. We're fixing to perish, Lord. Don't you care? He just looked at him and said, Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> How long am I going to suffer with you? He walked up and stepped up on the bow of that boat and said, Peace be still. Every, you know why? Everything was in subject to him. He came, I mean, when he came out of that wilderness, he had certain power and authority, he had power. To multiply fishes and loaves. He had power to put money in the fish's mouth. He had power over nature. Amen. He had power over demons, sickness, and disease. He didn't have all power till after his resurrection. But after his resurrection now, he said all power. That's what wants to live in here. That's what wants to live in here. If we'll let God, he'll bring us to that place because this is the kingdom. You know, when John, I mean when Paul went to Ephesus in chapter 19, he looked at them people, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, well, we don't even know if there be any Holy Ghost or not. He said, what were then you baptized to? He said, John's baptism. He said, well, John told you to believe on him that was coming after. So you can't stop water baptism. You can't stop with Repentance. And Paul prayed for him, baptized him in water, prayed for him. And the Bible said the Holy Ghost came upon him. They spake in tongues and prophesied. Amen. I don't know if y'all ever read it or not, but I've read it for years. And, and Paul, and I told my wife this morning, I said, man, there's a scripture that I pondered over for 20-something years. And I said, God, open my understanding to it this morning. She said, really? I said, yeah. Paul said, I came not to baptize. Y'all ever read that? Paul said, I come not to baptize, but I come preach the cross. And I was sitting there studying this morning, and, and the Lord just put it in my spirit. Paul didn't come preach repentance. Paul come preach the cross of Christ. Him crucified in the power of God. The Bible says the cross is the power of God. Because when you come to the power of the cross, then you learn the power of the resurrection. 
Amen. And when you get the power of the resurrection, what I just read to you in Ephesians 1 and 20, you understand the power of the resurrection, you understand what will live in you, then you can walk as he walked. Hallelujah. So Paul didn't come just to preach repentance. He said, I come to preach the cross. Did Paul tell them to repent? Yeah. But a lot of people, all they preach is repentance and baptism in water, and they stop there. Now I'm going to believe on him who's going to come hereafter. I'm going to believe on that Jesus that's going to baptize us in the Holy Ghost and fire. Are y'all with me? Let's take this. You study this. You got any questions, bring them next week. I'll answer your questions. Because I'm going to tell you something. If I'm going to preach something, I'm going to know what it means. I'm gonna, you're going to know I believe it, and I'm going to be able to answer your questions. Now don't get off in strange doctrine. But if you got questions about what I'm preaching, I can answer your questions. Amen. I can answer your questions. Because I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to see you grow, then i got to know how to guide you. And I'm doing my best. Amen. I'm doing my best to get people to grow up in God because we're out there dying. People need deliverance, don't know where to find it. They don't. They don't know where to find it. And I love good church, but I'm going to tell you, just going to church and singing and shouting and praising God and weeping and crying talking in tongues. Most people leave church, they're the same as they was when they went. Oh, it felt good. It felt good. People go out the door, jumping benches, swinging off the rafters, shouting and praising God. Man, we had church. About 30 minutes later, the devil smacks him. <laughs> and he's still there. Problem's still there. All the conditions, sickness, disease, depression, still there. Just having good church don't help you. But learning to live by the Word. Learning to take the Word and fight with it. The, the Word, the sword of the Spirit, is the Word. You learn to use that sword of the Spirit. What did Paul say in, in Hebrews 4 and 12? The, the sword of the Spirit, the Word, is, more, is sharper, more powerful than any two-edged sword. In those days, if a man knew how to use a two-edged sword, he was feared. Because it was razor sharp on both edges, he swung it this way it cut, he swung it that way it cut. There was a lot of single-edged swords that didn't only cut you one way, but a double-edged sword, the most feared weapon there was. Most feared, and a man learned how to use it, they feared him. He was dangerous. They didn't want nothing to do with him. So Paul said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations. So you've got to learn to fight in the Spirit because imaginations are right here. Strongholds are right here. Fear and unbelief come right here. All this stuff comes through your carnal man. It don't come through your spirit man. It comes through your carnal man. Therefore, your carnal man's a spirit. Your carnal man's a spirit because it fights a spiritual battle against you. It's a spirit. You've got to learn to overcome it. You've got to learn to conquer it. You've got to learn to slay it. Just like David took that sling, and when he hit Goliath in that forehead, the Bible says it sunk down. And she had that vision of that. The Lord told her, said, I've given you the ability or the power to slay the carnal mind. And that, that rock was Christ, and it sunk into Goliath's forehead. The Bible says, the Scripture says it sunk into his forehead. Well, that represents your mind. That stone being the rock, being Christ, It'll sink into your mind, and it'll destroy this carnality. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. But you can't talk all week carnality, negativity, 
upset and it's junk. The Bible said in uh, Isaiah 26 and 3, the man whose mind has stayed upon the Lord, I'll keep him in perfect peace because he trusts us in me. And all it is is we've got to learn to discipline ourselves. We've got to learn to condition ourselves. We've got to learn to take off the Word of God. I believe what I preach to you today. I believe it. I believe there's a manifestation of it taking hold of God's people and that we will step into this kingdom in power and authority and dominion. I believe it. And I want somebody to go with me. I want somebody to move forward with me. Move forward in Christ. Amen. I want somebody to move forward. Because there's people out there bound. What's going to destroy the yoke? The anointing. Nothing else is going to destroy the yoke. The anointing. You can talk a good game. There's, there's preachers talk a good game. There's preachers preach a whole lot better than I can. Got greater revelation. Can preach greater words. Greater messages. But don't have the power. You know why God anoints this? It don't have the power to destroy the yokes because it's just words. Just words. The letter killeth. Spirit maketh alive. Amen. So take these words and study them. Spend some time in study this week. Amen. Take these words and sit down and discuss them. Go over them. There's five pages there. There's five pages there for you to discuss and pray about and ask God for understanding. And if you got questions, write them down and bring them to me. And y'all pray we get our YouTube studio set up. We're waiting on a cable to get our sound. I'm not happy with the sound. That's why I haven't done anything. I want the sound. When I do something for God, I do it to the best of my ability. I do it 110%. And my wife will tell you, we didn't have a lot of money and we was out there on evangelistic field. But I'm going to tell you something. My equipment was clean. It was kept in good order. And I got the best equipment that I could afford. And I kept things right. I didn't run around here with the bumpers tied on with hay baling wire and duct tape. There's some people get a spirit of poverty on them and, I, and they act like the poor they look and the raggeder they dress, the closer to God they are. Your reproach in the name of Jesus is what you are. You can get that old spirit of poverty off of you. Quit poor mouthing, quit belly aching. I had a man used to come to my meetings. God, you could smell him a block away. He wouldn't bathe. He wouldn't change clothes. And I was preaching in a, a, an old house one night in August. God, it must have been close to 100 degrees in the house, and he come in. That, that, that place was packed. And he come in and found a seat and sat down about three rows back from the platform. I could smell him all the way on the platform. And he was turning people's stomachs. He was making them sick. And I looked at him and I said, Brother, I said, you are a reproach to the name of Jesus. Claiming to be a preacher. I said, you are a reproach to the name of Jesus. And I said, ain't nobody going to listen to you and you got body odor, and your clothes are nasty, and your teeth ain't brushed. I said, you're a reproach. And I said, ain't no sense in America anybody living like that. I said, if you was in Africa or something, I might understand. But let me tell you something. I've been to Honduras and preached in the banana groves. Then people got to go to a central water faucet in the middle of the village. And they got electricity. They got one big diesel generator for the village. A lot of times they only have electricity at night. But I'm going to tell you something. 
them women were clean. Their dresses were washed. Their hair was clean. Their children were clean. And the men walked all day long in them banana groves. And they come to church at night that's clean. They were clean. There ain't no sense in being a reproach. And I said, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody you go to my church. Please don't. I said, because I don't teach no such. You're going to present yourself as a pastor of Christ. Clean yourself up. Present yourself in a right manner. Amen. Brush your teeth so your breath don't knock somebody down three blocks away. I'll buy you a bottle of Listerine. Serious. And people actually bought this man clothes. Three people from that night gave him a bar of soap. <laughs> and next time I seen that man, he just as filthy and nasty and dirty. And it hadn't changed a bit. You know what? He was caught in that old spirit. Drove something that looked like he drove it out of a junkyard. And that's where it needed to be. You say, why are you saying all this? Because it's a spirit that gets on people. That's the reason a lot of people will not we'll get around holiness folks. There are holiness folks that are nasty, unkept, unclean, and talk about God all the time. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You raise a standard. You keep a natural standard, you keep a spiritual standard. I mean, we, me and my wife first got married, we didn't have anything. I'm serious. I had a beat-up old truck, but it was clean. A year after we got married, God gave me a brand new tent. I mean, the lady bought it for me, brand new, because the one I had was nothing but patches on top of patches. But it was clean. The chairs were clean. The platform was painted. And I went to North Carolina in 84 with that new tent. And I preached up there. Was it? No, it was 90, 96. And I preached up there, and a man come to my meeting. And I was fasting. I was in a 40-day fast. And I always stayed in my trial. I'd had a travel trailer behind me. I always stayed there and prayed till I come out and took service. The Lord told me, he said, you walk out of the tent, you walk out of your trailer, go around the right side of the tent, and you're going to run into this man. He was a pastor. His mom and dad had come. And I prayed for one of them, had a cataract on her eye, got healed it. His dad was deaf in one ear, and God healed him. And he said he's going to invite you to come to his church. I walked right out of the trailer, walked around the right side of the tent, run right into him. He said, Brother Metter, he said, I want you to come to my church Sunday morning and preach. And he said, I don't invite people to preach, but the Lord told me, ask if he'd come preach. And when he got up to introduce me, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I've been in this man's meeting. He said, I'm telling you, every one of you, go out there and back him up. He said, he's prayed for my mom. She had a cataract. My dad was deaf. God healed him. They were there in the congregation. He said, this man has a standard. He said, his equipment's clean. His health's clean. His tent's clean. He keeps his tent lot clean. And he said, he preaches a word that holds up a standard. You want somebody to respect the God in you, show some respect for yourself. And do what's right. Amen. Is that all right? Because there's people that won't. There's people that won't. And we're in a day God is standing up for His Word. Amen. And you will see God stand up against false doctrines. 
The Lord told us in, in 2017 there's fixing to be a great move that's going to start putting idolatry down and going to deliver people from the bondage of idolatry. We got 60 million people right here in this country bound by idolatry that are immigrants. They're under false doctrines, under false teachings. They work among us, eat among us, shop among us, move among us, but when they worship, they're in closed worship. And you can't hardly get in their worship services. They're closed. And they're bound by darkness and idolatry. And the Lord told me, it's brought, it's brought a reproach on this nation and it's brought a lot of trouble on this nation. People used to come in and assimilate into become Americans. Now they come in 15, 20,000 at a time and they, they make closed communities. They don't let outsiders in. The Lord told me I'm going to open these doors. This darkness of idolatry is going to be torn down. Get ready, church. It's time to go. Amen. It's time to go. You appreciate the Word today? You appreciate what God's doing? Let's go to prayer and let's ask God to bless this Word in our spirits. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless this Word in our hearts and our minds. Let Your Word and Your Spirit take hold of us. God, let the revelation of this Word get in us that we can step into this power and authority and dominion of a resurrected Christ. Let the name of Jesus be honored, praised, worshipped, and glorified. And we give you honor for what you've done today. And we thank you for the power of a resurrected Christ that can live in us and lead us and guide us and direct us. I know this is a different resurrection message. But Lord, I'm not one to preach traditions anyhow. Thank you for putting this word in my spirit today. Thank you for giving your people eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. All hearts and minds clear? Y'all appreciate I hope y'all appreciate this. Cause, all right. I'm going to go ahead and receive the offering. Uh, and if you got tithe, put them over here. If you got an offering you want to help us with, put them over here. Just do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Is that okay? Amen. Is that okay? Just do what's right and just do what's pleasing to the Lord. Because you'll find giving will cause God to bless you. He won't just bless you financially. He can bless you with health. He can bless your family with salvation. He can bless you with good things. Come on, come on and obey the Lord. Hallelujah. Glad to see everybody in the house of God today. Thank you, Lord. Good to see you, young man. God bless you. Praise God. I did talk to your grandma the other day. I don't know if she told you or not. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry about last week, but we was in service here one night, just Bible study. And man, that wind hit. Justin, were you here when that happened? We had a tree come down across the road up here, and we had a tree come down across the road down here. And we didn't know if we were going to get out and go home. It took all the electricity out in the church. So when they started forecasting 60 and 70 mile an hour wind, I just didn't want the people to get out and take a chance. Because when you get those kind of winds around here, I mean, trees come down everywhere. Y'all live around LJ, you know. So uh, I was here. I'd come up Saturday. And when they started giving that forecast, and then Brother Elder called me. I said, Brother Miller, we're down in Calhoun. They're giving that kind of forecast down here. I said, well, I said, we'll just cancel service day. I don't want people to get out and take a chance on getting hurt. So, but I'm glad to see everybody today. 
good to be in the house of the Lord. Now, uh, we're going to have something to eat back here. If y'all want to join, you're welcome. Uh, my wife has fixed something, and Sister Deborah and Sister Barbie, we've all thrown in together. You're welcome to come back and eat with us, fellowship with us. Uh, Brother Donald, I think I'm just going to let you dismiss and pray over the food. Thank y'all for listening. And like I said, if you have any questions, write them down bring them to me. Because I, I, I want you to know the truth. And I want you to grow in truth. And I want you to grow up in God to where you'll be able to face the devil down. Amen. We need to know how to face the devil down. And I don't know if y'all know who Smith Wigglesworth was, but he lived back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Actually, his wife started preaching before he did over in London. He was a plumber, if I remember right. His wife got saved, started really exhorting and preaching before he did. And he, he really didn't care for God. And I think he went to one of the meetings where she was, and God done something in his life. And, I mean, he become a man of prayer and dedication, had great miracles, deliverance. And he was asleep one night, and he felt something shake in his bed. And he woke up, and the devil was standing there just shaking his bed. And he looked up and said, oh, it's you. Turned over. <laughs> Started to go back to sleep. And the devil said, don't you know who I am? Smith Wigglesworth looked at him and said, don't you know who I am? And he said, devil, get out of here, and don't you come back no more. And the devil started to leave. Smith Wigglesworth said, wait a minute. Get yourself back here. The devil walked back over. He said, you put my bed back where it was. <laughs> So he stepped into that authority, in that dominion. He wasn't afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that the works of Satan might, they are destroyed in Christ. And to us, the believer, the works of Satan are destroyed. So it's time to grow in that knowledge and come to that place. We know who we are in Christ. Amen. God bless you. Brother Donald. Uh, I don't know, but go ahead and do them both. <laughs>